0: Welcome to Sinner's Take, another Catholic Guys podcast of which we are the worst. I am Eddie. I'm Mark. And I'm Cody. And today we are going to talk about the Chronicles of Narnia, the magician's nephew. Welcome to the first official Sinner's Take book club, name (laughs) pending for sure, (laughs) And we're gonna look at the Chronicles of Narnia series, and so we're entering into this time period of Narnia nuggets, and it will take us an indiscriminate amount of time to get through it all. We have a new guest with us today, and his name is Mark. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you. Uh, he is a great sinner, I hear. Um, one of the
1: best. I've been I've been known to sin before.
0: Yeah, but. He's he's being modest. Trust me, he's a phenomenal <laughs> sinner. Take our word for it. Actually, I just realized though, because you play college baseball and the season is happening again, and you're leaving in like a week, so if we're gonna have you on for the rest of these things, we gotta like crank out one a day for the next week. Nice. I we we, we might as well do it. Yeah, we should probably. We'll figure out a time. I've I've I gotta read a book a day now. Yeah, <laughs> which is pretty normal oh, for no. him. this guy. This guy cranks through books like we're for a little while. I was thinking like, oh, let's read books together, and then he got. We both got the space trilogy, and like in a day, he finished the first one. And I'm like,
1: well, I got the space, the first one for free on Kindle. I haven't read. The- I don't have access to the second two without buying them, and I really don't want to buy them. So. Well, I have them right here, and you can't I'm- have them. Okay, <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> but anyway, without wasting any more of your time, let's talk about the magician's nephew. Uh, well, actually, let's talk about Chronicles of Narnia. Why did we pick this one, this series of books? Because this is a kid's book, right? So why are we even talking about this? Um, anyone have thoughts on that?
1: The thing that first attracted me to Narnia. Well, besides you recommending it because you just love these books, I love them but so much. I was in like a rhythm of like reading spiritual books and a lot of it is like a lot of thinking and sometimes that gets tiring of like every time you sit down to read, you have to think about something like theology or something that is really, really, really introspective. And I think switching over to like a children's book where the format is really easy to read. But there's so much spiritual depth in the simplicity of the book that makes it great. And it makes these themes of Christianity available to so many people.
2: Yeah, I would agree. For the same reason I love Lord of the Rings, it's, it just makes spiritual things so accessible and, and gives you such like a real, it, in a sense, it is fake, it's fiction, but it almost gives you like a more real lens to see, particularly with Narnia, it's the person of Jesus Christ, I think, and with the Lord of the Rings, it would be virtue like lived out particularly the virtue of courage but a lot of other virtues as well all the characters genuinely act in a very not all of them but you you can tell when a character is acting very virtuously and i think it just makes it like i like that that you said it was accessible
0: i heart aslan is my thesis statement that's the only reason (laughs) Uh, we were cody and i were just joking though that like sometimes when i'm reading it it's it's tough because like and I'm gonna say this right in the podcast, so no shame. But sometimes I feel like we were talking about we have more positive affection for Aslan than I feel sometimes even the person Jesus, which is that's bad, right? And that's something that needs to be combated for sure. But it does it does help. You could tell that C.S. Lewis he knew Jesus Christ, he had a relationship with him, and everything that he experienced in prayer he put into this book, and this this series of books in one way or another. And it re- it really is it's it's helped me so much with my own prayer life and how and how to approach him it's helped me frame how he has approached situations in my life that i didn't really understand a lot of times and that has gone wonders too i got a beautiful painting of aslan for my birthday but um now i want to retreat back from what i said i do not love aslan more than jesus christ but it's great some reason same reason why people really like the series the chosen right because you just get to see jesus christ in ways that you don't get to see him in the gospels because the gospels they're kind of short, right? So it's it's tough. And to see, like, more of the story and to see more of how he would interact, which, again, C.S. Lewis wasn't even Catholic. So, like, we don't have to take everything that he said word for word. But if I could throw one more thing in there, yeah. I think the other thing that it really,
2: and this is, again, more so with Narnia than it is with Lord of the Rings or other books that I have read like it. Really, it just stirs up a lot of desire for heaven like for really good things. It stirs up a lot of desire for Jesus and it stirs up a lot of desire for heaven in, every, in a deep way.
0: Yeah. Read the last two pages of the last Chronicles of Narnia book and tell me And tell me you don't desire heaven. Well, you have to read the first seven books. You don't this. even. You <laughs> don't because I originally was attracted to Narnia and just read snippets of it. So uh, it's great. We're going to go through with this series, Narnia Nuggets, just a couple of things from each book of what we think has helped our own spiritual life, so good takeaways. And we'll kind of see where it all goes. So you can expect more of these. So the Magicians, also, so spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't read it. Now, to be honest, I don't think that if, like, if you haven't read it yet and you're planning on reading it for whatever reason, there's a full grown adult who's like, man, I've just been meaning to read the Chronicles of Narnia. (laughs) I personally think, like, for me, it did not hurt to know the story before I read it in a lot of ways because it just helped me almost prepare for what's about to happen and to read it. And usually I would just reread the same things over and over again. And the more I read these encounters that we're talking about, the more impactful they are to me. So if you haven't read it and you don't want the story to be spoiled, I guess don't listen. But also like the story is the not important thing. And I think what would be spoiled for you will also add to your possible encounter of the book. The story
2: is more of like a frame for the encounters with, I mean, obviously the encounters with Aslan, but it's just more of a frame for him to draw out the analogy so it, it's not yeah if, the story it, is a lot of like christianity actually so. if, you, if you've read the bible you already spoiled
0: these books for yourself <laughs> so this is the magician's nephew this is kind of the founding of narnia and uh so for those of you guys who maybe have seen the first i mean the, the movie the line the witch and the Wardrobe." that's the second book technically most people know that though but if you don't that this is the founding of narnia before that how the white witch comes to be and all of that so first thought was early on stage is anything that stands out to you guys
1: I think when I picked up the series, because I already knew what the Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe like was framed as, and I started reading this, I'm like, okay, this is the creation story, this is Genesis, not tit for tat exactly how it goes, but that was sort of the frame I had when I was reading it, and it helped me to sort of think a little bit deeper about the characters and what they were doing and how everything unfolds.
2: When I first picked up this book to read it, I was actually super turned off to it. Because I was young, I think I was maybe nine or ten, and my mom wanted to start reading through them with me, and so we would just, you know, take turns reading chapters back and forth to each other. And I just didn't get it. I, it just, it just didn't strike me as anything very profound. And I found the books pretty boring, particularly the her- the horse and his boy. When I was a kid, well, I couldn't remember anything from it. And then I read through it again as an adult, and I was like, How was I missing this? But I feel that way about all these books. Is I feel like when I first picked it up. I didn't fully understand or appreciate the depth to them.
0: Now, you had something from earlier stages in the book. It takes a little while for it to get going. And again, honestly, if you want to fast fast forward, read the, the Narnia books, I say just skip ahead to when Aslan's on the page and then read that five times and then skip ahead till he's on the page again. But there was... There, you wanted to talk about the magician. There's something interesting about magic in general in this series. It almost seems to be, in a lot of ways, like a cooperation with grace. It's out of your control and it's... A a lot of sense, and the more you try to handle it, the more you try is it's always based out of pride and usually doesn't go well for people who do it. But you had something to say about the the magician, right? Uncle Andrew is his name.
1: Yeah, I think I think on that the whole magic aspect of this is the spirit in our world. Like there are evil spirits and there are the Holy Spirit. So I think when looking at Uncle Andrew, the beginning of the story does sort of set up who Uncle Andrew is, and you get a really clear picture because. Spoiler, uh, he sends uh, Polly, who is Diggory's friend, off to another world, just, like, doesn't tell her, like, tricks her, slips a magic ring on her, and sends her into this other world. All to test, like, his magical. Yeah, yeah, he had already sent a guinea pig with a bow on it, so if that means anything to anybody. (laughs) Um, And Diggory's, like, angry because he just sent his friend who... I mean, probably like a nine-year-old girl into this magic world where he doesn't even know what's there, what dangers lie there. And Diggory's angry at his uncle and his uncle just sort of like scoffs it off. Like, what do you know? Men of my stature, men of my understanding of this world, the, the common laws don't apply to us. And so that sort of sets up, this is the pride of this man who has come upon this power that is not of his own. And then we see later in the book where that gets him when he ultimately gets to meet Aslan.
0: Yeah, very good. Exactly. You're going to see that as a theme, right? Is that this 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 nature of pride, which is obviously very prevalent, especially in this first one, particularly when we look at the story of Genesis, we see pride, we see the devil, we see all this prideful stuff. So we see that come to manifest here in this story. Is there yeah, anything else before we kind of jump ahead?
2: Well, how far are we jumping ahead? Because I was going to jump kind of along the similar theme of pride, which I guess we're now seeing is like a, a huge i'm recognizing now as we're talking about it as a much larger theme in the book than i had given it credit for but i wanted to
0: jump to you know okay so diggory goes after her diggory's the main character also he's like the kid yeah he's he's the magician's nephew (laughs) the title of
1: the book
2: uh he goes after her and then they end up in this land where it's just a bunch of pools that lead to different worlds and they can go through any of them to go to any of the worlds and they go to one that is kind of run down and Basically been destroyed. You can tell that there was life there before and they see like statues of all the people that used to live there. But the place is super, like the place is in ruins. Uh, It's just courtyard after courtyard of basically nothing happening. But when I was rereading this, the partner stood out to me. That struck me was they come into this courtyard that is filled with a bunch of statues of people that used to live there. And they seem to be in some sense a little more grand than the other statues that they had seen like you can tell these were people that were were important and in the middle of the room there's a bell and on the bell is the inscription make your choice adventurous stranger strike the bell and bide the danger or wonder till it drives you mad what would have followed if you had uh polly the girl is not super into ringing this bell has no interest in finding out what happens afterwards but diggory is super interested and he he even says, you know, oh, I think I'm coming under the spell of the spell. Like I really feel like I'm really drawn into this, and I really think it's going to eat away at me for the rest of my life if I have no idea what happens when I ring this it, bell. It would have, yeah. And to some extent, I think it probably would have, but but not that much. Later on in the book, he's he's talking to Aslan about it, and Aslan's like, "Why'd you ring the bell?" And he said, "Oh, I like was kind of drawn into it, like under the spell." But you know, even as he's talking to Aslan, he realizes, "No, I wasn't. I just." kind of wanted to find out what would happen and it reminded me of something that I learned in my senior seminar seminar for all the lazy people who don't want to write theses. <laughs> no doubt. Theses are feces, man. Let me tell you. Uh, <laughs> the whole seminar was on the spiritual masters of the Christian tradition Christian tradition and when we were talking about St. Benedict, he has a ladder of humility. So like the 12 steps that get you to true humility. And then he has a corresponding ladder uh, of pride and curiosity is the first rung on the ladder of pride that there's something that I want to know or something that I'm just, you know, kind of curious about, kind of tickles my fancy, if you will, that isn't necessarily for me uh, and isn't necessarily something that I need. And to follow up on that and to, and to follow this line of reasoning, like, oh man, like, I, I just have to know, like, I have to try, right? Mo- I think most of the time we know that we don't have to try, but we do anyways. And I, I thought that that was really interesting that in, in this book, like the, what brings evil back to life, because that's eventually what happens when he rings the bell is he, he wakes up the white witch, what brings evil back to life and into the world of Narnia eventually
0: is just simply curiosity which I think mirrors a lot Adam and Eve and not only Adam and Eve, because I think about this a lot and I am no stranger to, I believe that demons exist, but a lot of times people will blame all of their troubles, all their temptations on, Oh, I was just so tempted today, but you don't need temptation to sin. All you need is that, that twisted desire of yourself. Cause if you think the first sin ultimately before Adam and Eve was the sin of Lucifer and nobody tempted Lucifer, right? Because, There were no demons and he is the devil. So he tempted himself, right? Just out of that curiosity, wanting something that isn't his, that pride. And, uh, I think to see that here is important for us to always reflect on that. Like, don't let yourself off the hook so easily all the time that it's not just the devil who's tempting you and you're too weak to stand up to it. Sometimes it's also, we have corrupted wills. And I think about that a lot in my own sense, like particularly with sin, particularly with sins of the flesh, like, Particularly with like pornography, how much, how many times did I go down a rabbit hole I didn't want to go down, when it started from a place of just genuine curiosity of like, like a random que- like thought of like, oh, I wonder what that who this like celebrity person is married to, or like what who is she dating anybody or whatever, and then it just starts this this chain of events, and it uh, leads me to a place that I never really wanted to go, and that was always born out of curiosity.
1: Yeah, I think we also tend to put ourselves in vulnerable situations too, where if it's like a habitual sin of pornography, obviously this isn't a habitual sin for Diggory, but we tend to put ourselves in places that we might, we know that the outcome isn't always going to be good. And so with Diggory, after reading this, he could have separated himself and like from the situation and they could have left the room and gone away from Charn, which is the world that is like the destroyed world. He could have left, but he sort of, Stays around that temptation, stays around a place where he knows bad things could happen, and then we see the result of it the evil white witch
0: coming. And he ends up like actually hurting the girl, too. Uh, what's her name? What's that? Well, I'm, uh, Polly, yeah. Uh, he actually hurts her because the magic rings, if you touch them, they go back, right? And so she went to reach into her pocket to grab it, and he like grabs her wrist and says, No, we're gonna do this, right? And it, it almost mirrors Adam and Eve, where Adam failed to protect his. Bride yeah. in the garden. Well, so.
1: and, and also to go off that, um when they are, I think the White Witch and Polly and Diggory are looking off into the country, and she's explaining like how she destroyed the world essentially. Diggory tells them to reach for the rings, and the White Witch pulls Polly up by the hair because she's just like really strong woman apparently. So even then, like you can see the effects of his sin already hurting the person who he went into the magical world to. You know, rescue. Yeah, yeah, to help.
0: Yeah, and so then we see the White Witch. Kind of, she goes, and that's not her name. What's I forget her name? It's Jadis. Jadis, right? And she, they actually, and she ends up getting back to Earth with them, and she kind of just creates havoc, and and no one can really understand what's going on because this woman is like magical powers and is super strong, and the police like don't know what to do with her, and she's robbing stores and stuff, and she ends up ripping off like a light, like a light, a metal beam from a light bulb, light post, and like starts hitting people with it and like steals jewels horse, and jewels and a horse and carriage and is riding it on top of it uh it's just absolute chaos but anyway they get sucked back into uh this this other <laughs> world i mean does anyone want can we skip through all this that also? well i mean i think something interesting
2: to note is uncle andrew's relation to her oh yeah that's good actually we should talk about Versus, that uh, so when the
0: magician yeah the guy who is a kind of a magician he doesn't have like incredible magic His 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 like interaction his with his this, mother is witch. like a
1: fairy godmother or something he is like a slight lineage to magic and that's how he created the rings because he was he left this box so yeah he doesn't he's not a real magician but when Jadis the witch comes into the world she's like I want to see the magician who summoned me and so then he presents himself and, she just and she's like him. she's like you're not a real like I guess you'll
0: do you're not a real she says we I think she says we exterminated magicians like you in my world like yeah. 2,000 <laughs> years ago So um
1: yeah so and then afterwards like he she is this like striking woman, even Diggory says that when she sees like these statues of these people who are important, he stares at Jadis and is like awed at her beauty as well. And so the same thing happens with uh, Uncle Andrew, but then afterwards he's just put into servitude. She doesn't care at all for him and abuses him essentially. And that's a direct comparison to if we are
2: subservient or we give into the desires of you know sin essentially. Yeah, she basically treats him like a slave, and then he ends up hating her for it, but still is, like, afraid of her and will still do what she wants, almost. And, I, again, it just—you get so trapped into—it it kind of mirrors addiction a little bit, right? Like Probably a lot of it. I, I don't want to be here, but I'm still enslaved to it and at the service of it. I technically have the freedom to leave, but I feel like I don't.
0: Yeah, so then— Fast forward to them in a new world. And on comes on stage comes the man himself, the man of the hour, Aslan. And he is creating Narnia in this world, basically. And he's creating it with this beautiful, beautiful song. And he's basically just pacing back and forth across the land. And like the ground's like shaking as he's walking, but it, and the trees are singing and everything, like as he's stepping past it, it's just coming to life. And it's this beautiful scene of him just creating with this act of just beauty. So they, they end up taking this. This guy they call him the cabbie. He's like this guy. He doesn't really speak proper English, and he's just a just a common London guy. I don't. He's just like yeah. He's a guy. He runs the cab that the that the the witch stole, and he gets sucked into it. And he says a beautiful, beautiful line. He says when he hears the music, he says, "I would have been a better man my whole life if I knew things like this existed," and just the response that he has to Aslan is so so good. But Aslan, you've noticed something that was interesting about the way Aslan is introducing the world right oh it's like you- the first command that he gives to the oh yeah
1: so obviously after after Aslan uh creates like all the plants and the trees with his song which is another comparison to god making the world through the word yeah um but Aslan uh circles up all of these animals that he's created and to certain animals he gives basically intelligence um so that they can speak so they're talking animals and so what Aslan says to them, he says, Narnia, 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 awake, love, think, speak, be walking trees, be talking beasts, be divine waters. And I think what's interesting to note there is that the first command after he awakens them from their pretty much like stupidity or they were dumb animals before, is their first command is to love. And I think that shouldn't just be glossed over as like a nice word in the book that Aslan says, but I think it sort of shows the world as what it was meant to be in the beginning is that these creatures were meant to love each other we're not supposed to abuse each other um we're supposed to do the best for each other so i thought that was an and a it's a
0: specific command of those who have been awakened right those who yeah have, it's the
2: responsibility it, it, of those who,
0: those who have, who have been
2: intellect. given given um the intellect yeah the next thing that i had wanted to talk about was actually literally the line right before that so right before he speak because that's the first those are aslan's first lines in the book and
0: does anyone else when you hear when you hear the song think of the lol song? No, Jesus. no. Someone <laughs> needs to make a meme of that. That's why uh, probably not though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't, it's probably not an authentic. Don't 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 waste
2: your time. <laughs> on that. It's Coming from a curious place, really yeah. more than anything else. It's funny to imagine. Um, yeah, so he finishes singing creation into being, and then he, and then the voice that it describes it says. Uh, there came a swift flash like fire, but it burnt nobody either from the sky or from the lion itself, and every drop of blood tingled in the children's bodies, and the deepest, wildest voice they had ever heard was saying, Narnia, 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 awake. And what word do you like? I love the word wild with my whole heart, and I, when I, I was reading that today in in the chapel in preparation for this, and I, I had said that one of the things... That I really like about these books is the desire that it flares up in me and I just really really want to hear that voice like I I want to hear the deepest wildest voice I've ever heard like I, I want to hear the voice of the creator in like in the midst of creation
0: oh and I, I mean I want it, it so bad it really it really brings so much more into the light of you know that he calls you by name like it's 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 he calls you by name with the voice that can create the universe, right? Yeah, it's not no. just like the way I call your name. It's uh it's just it's so it's so much more than that.
1: I, I think to to go off that really quickly, is that these people have never met, well, never met air quotes Aslan. He's God, so like they have there's a part of them that longs for him even though they don't know him, they don't recognize him. But I love every interaction in the whole series when like people meet Aslan for the first time, he calls them by name he knows them and he speaks to them like they've known each other for years. And it just goes to the testament of even if you've been away from God or you can't see God in your life presently, he still speaks to you as if you're a longtime friend.
0: He calls you by name, same thing. And then the next thing that I wanted to talk about was when Aslan comes into the picture, I think it's actually backtracking a little bit. There's three responses that we see to people. And I think it really summarizes well the three responses to God that a human being can have. It's the cabbie, the White Witch, J- J- Jadis, Jadis, <laughs> Jadis, and <Jaundice>. Jadis, <laughs> Jadat. Uh, so the Cavy Jadis, and Uncle Andrew, the magician. And so one is the White Witch, and she knows who Aslan is because she's been around in this world forever and she has magical powers. But it says a beautiful line that it says she recognizes the magic and she knows that it's much stronger and much older and much deeper than hers. And she is angry at it, and she she's like her fists are clenched, and it says that she would soon destroy this world and every other world if it meant that she could also destroy the lion and herself, basically. And because she just is angered because she can't accept that there's something more powerful than her that is so beautiful, right? Because she is all about power and fear and slavery, and Aslan is all about beauty and love and all the in truth, and it's he's infinitely more powerful than her, so. She responds with anger and lashes out at him, actually. So she takes that metal rod that she had with the lamppost and she chucks it at him like as hard as she can. And they do a good job throughout the book of showing her like physical strength that this woman can like do anything. And she chucks it as hard as she can and it just like bounces off of him. And he doesn't even register it. And he just keeps going on creating. And then she runs away in fear. So she like can't handle it, lashes out against him, and then runs away. Which is another interesting thing. That you were talking about, because that la- that light actually ends up becoming used in the second yeah, book. Yeah, it it, it well, grows all of Narnia.
1: Yeah, so it that you know stick of metal from the light in London sticks in the ground and grows up to this giant lamppost, and that lamppost is the spot where the children in the next book come into Narnia. That's like the meeting place, and I think the interesting part of that is Jadis, who is evil in this situation and throws this lamppost at Aslan, like Aslan can, or God, can turn evil into a greater act of good, a greater act of beauty that can lead to more good things in the future. You know, whatever his, we don't understand his will at the point.
0: So the children didn't understand why the lamppost was growing. Because then the second response is Uncle Andrew, right? And he, as we talked about, he wants to control this magic. He wants to make it his own. And he his whole thing is trying to, n- Become aware of it, and his pride is manifesting itself that he can't. He's encountering Aslan, and he can't understand that there's something more powerful than like, like. So the White Witch she knows that he Aslan's more powerful. This guy, this guy can't really come to terms with it, and his response is just sheer fear. Like he doesn't think that it it must. It's so powerful that it must be evil, right? And so he, whenever Aslan speaks, he just hears growling. He just hears roars, and he's afraid of him because he's a lion. He tries to bury his head in the sand, but again, it's he's trying to control this magic. Right. he even says like when he sees the lamppost growing in the ground, he says we gotta take this back to London so we can sell it to like the military. And it's like no, you're, he's trying to control something that is not his to control. And when it when it is too much for him, he just fe- is in fear. And then the third response is the cabbie, and he responds with just absolute humility. He with a line I had already said where he says, you know, I would be a better man my whole life if I had known that things like this have existed. And he just wants to listen to Aslan. know, like he and every single thing that Aslan speaks to him. He just thinks like, yeah, I'm, not, like, I'm pretty weak, right? and He acknowledges his weaknesses. He never lies to him. He only responds with humility. And Aslan ends up making him the first king of Narnia. And it's beautiful. So another thing about when Aslan is speaking to the creatures
2: that have just been woken up that I thought was really beautiful. He says, creatures, I give you yourselves. I give, you, I give to you forever this land of Narnia. I give you the woods, the fruits, the rivers. I give you the stars. And I give you myself. The dumb beasts who I have not chosen are yours also. Treat them gently and cherish them, but do not go back to their ways lest you cease to be talking beasts. For out of them you were taken, and into them you can return. I mean, it's just it's just another line that is similar to you are dust, and to dust you shall return, right? Or something like that. But I think the more it, it's, again, speaking to us personally, right? That the more you act against what you are, the less you become what you are, right? The more you act out of accord with, the will of, of God, the less you become what you really are. I thought that was a really beautiful point. I love
0: the give you myself thing too. Really, yeah. really good. Man, th- we ordered a 12 count nugget here, man. This is, <laughs> this is book one. Uh, so, I think we got, we got a few more though.
1: Yeah. Uh, one part that was, uh, really stood out to me was when Diggory, he retrieves his apple or he's going to retrieve the apple and he is has to face Aslan and like, Face up to God for the sin of bringing Jadis into the world, essentially, and so the whole time he's looking at Asen's feet, he doesn't want to yeah,
0: explain that his mom is sick first.
1: His mom is sick, okay, uh, yeah, and that's, so so that's the whole the the whole point is, he thinks he's in this land of youth, essentially, and he the, the thing he wants more than anything is to cure his mom. His mom has been terribly sick the whole book, and so. All of these things are coming together. He feels the grief over his mom. He feels the grief over having brought this evil into the world. And now he has to face Aslan, who this is the first time he's really meeting him. And so it sort of comes out from his heart that he he will go on this mission to retrieve this apple. But more than anything, he wants his mother to be better. And he's looking at his Aslan's feet and he looks up and it says that what he saw surprised him as much as anything in his whole life, for the tawny face was bent down near his own, and wonder of wonders, great shining tears stood in the lion's eyes. They were such big, bright tears compared with Diggory's own that for a moment he felt as if the lion must really be sorrier about his mother than he was himself. I think that's a great... I For me, when I oh. felt that... Yeah, oh. it's I literally so, a tear forms it's in my own so, eyes. It's <laughs> oh so God. good. when I, When I read that, I was like... We get caught up in our own sinfulness that we sort of neglect the fact that Christ is there with us in our sorrows, no matter what, despite of everything we have done to offend him, he still grieves with us because he has those human emotions. I think that was like, that he was even, such a good point.
0: He even like, he feels it, he feels worse for your sorrow than you do, basically. Right? Yeah. Like, cause he understands it more. And he says, he says a beautiful line as when he, when he sees him, he's like, He's like, grief, it's not something that anybody in this land has felt except for me and you, right? He's saying that none of these talking animals, they were just created. They haven't experienced grief yet. And so, like, Aslan's acknowledging that this kid, like, has had a rough go of it. Um, and then the beautiful, beautiful line that he says, because he wants, he's like, are you ready to remedy this thing that you did wrong? Like, are you ready to fix this? And Diggory, like, he's just a scared little kid. And again, he's basically telling him to go find something, that go towards where the where the white witch ran off. And so he's afraid and he's just like I don't see what good it will do the white witch the witch ran off and then just says yeah, I said I asked you if you were ready right like he doesn't ask him like I don't how he's planning on doing it he says are you ready to do what I want you to do and just the, the courage that is brought out of him is is so profound yeah
2: and then when he goes on to uh, I mean I I actually think this happens before that but I think it fits in really well here is he goes on to address all the all the beasts, or every all of creation, at that point, and he says, "You see, friends, that before the new clean world I gave you is seven hours old, a force of evil has already entered it, waked and brought hither by the son of Adam. But do not be cast down. Evil will come of that evil, but it is a long way off, and I will see to it that the worst falls upon myself. In the meantime, let us take such order that for many hundred years yet this shall be a merry land and a merry world. And as Adam's race has done the harm." Adam's race shall help to hear it, help to heal it. And, oh, again, you know, it just hits you so deep because both of those promises are fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Like the, I will see to it that the worst of it falls upon myself. He had straight up nothing to do with the evil that came in, like nothing.
0: And again, he literally just created it. He's like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Like
2: five hours after he created this perfect land already, something is in it that is screwed up. And he said, I'll take, I'll take the worst of it. And then he says, Adam's race has done the harm. Adam's race will help to heal it. Like he fulfills that promise again in himself. And you know, in this book, it's fleshed out a little bit differently.
0: And that's why, but not, you know, and that's why I love the book. Like, uh, and again, going back to why we, why we all love the Chronicles of Narnia is how awesome would it be? Because it just shows that God, this happened, like in a sense that God, when he saw the fall, he had an internal dialogue with, you know, the other members of the Trinity and was like, we're going to take care of this. Right. And like that, like that, like instantly, like as soon as this happened, God, Jesus was, was, was happening. Right. The the path was, has begun. And so just to, to see it, to see it come out of his mouth, even in, even from the voice of a lion in a kid's book is just so profound to me. that's why I say like, it really, it really helps with like the supplemental parts of my prayer life where it's, to to hear God say like I will take the brunt of this I, I mean we know He will but it just it I don't know, it just helps me in my own no. spiritual life
1: I think one point to add to that is from uh, G K Chesterton or is it G K Chesterton it might be uh who wrote the life of Christ
0: not Fulton G K Chesterton
1: not G K Chesterton uh, Fulton Sheen yeah <laughs> Fulton Sheen talks about how the cross was not an afterthought the cross was there from the beginning it's like the cross casts a shadow on the nativity and that you see the sort of same thing like before the world is created aslan is prepared god is prepared to take the fall for the sin that is about to happen
0: it's so good it
2: makes me want it makes <laughs> me want him so bad like so bad the la- i guess the last thing i'll say is just kind of going back to what you said is when he asked are you ready and there, there's so many things in like this mission that Aslan is sending him on that he's just so ill-equipped for. Uh, he has no idea where he's going. He's in a land that's literally brand new. So he he couldn't possibly know where he's going. And he couldn't even turn to the things that are around him and be like, hey, how do I get there? Because they don't know either. <laughs> they were just made. So, you know, but it says something like he was feel he started to feel less and less like he was not capable of it, even though he had no idea how it was going to come about. And then Right after he says he's ready, Aslan gives him instructions and then turns to one of the horses and says, do you want to have wings? <laughs> uh, and the horse is like, sure. Yeah. And so he gives him wings and now all of a sudden he can fly like the whole distance that he, had, that he was looking at. And he told Aslan, I hope you're not in a rush because I can't make it there very fast. There are mountains in the way and there's like waterfalls and rivers and all this stuff. And so Aslan just turns and like, uh, it reminds me of the line from, isaiah 43 where he says i'll make a, a river in the desert or a path in the wilderness like you don't you don't have to worry about the logistics like he he's in command of everything you know all, all you have to worry about is am i going to say yes to this or am i not like am i going to say yes to his will or am i not and all the logistics will out like out of nowhere and in ways that you wouldn't imagine take care of themselves
0: yeah well, there's your supersized order of nuggets from Narnia <laughs> yeah. Book One. Really 20 big <laughs> really big nuggets. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it, again, it's it's great. Honestly, you could probably read the book in as fast as we just broke it. <laughs> 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 so uh, yeah, thanks for tuning in. This I, I you know, I'm Eddie. I am Cody. And I'm Mark. And I'm Jasper. And this was the first episode of Narnia Nuggets, and so you will hear us in the next one.